love getting to walk through Luke because we do get to just look at the beautiful, majestic, magnificent Savior that we have. My hope is that you will see him. You will fall more in love with Christ this morning, but you will know how to experience him as well. And I think this passage sheds a lot of light on that. We're in Luke 8. As always, I'm going to have it on the screen. I would love it as I read if you would follow along. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Actually, let me sit there for a second. So I just want to kind of set the scene, because as much as we can read through this, I want you to dive into this picture. You know, picture this. I mean, if you remember from last week, Jesus took off into Gentile territory. Now Jesus is coming back to kind of more of the Jewish territories. And as he comes back on the shoreline, they're just waiting for him. Hordes of people. So just picture that. This crowd of people waiting for this boat to return with Jesus on it. And then as Jesus arrives, someone steps out from the crowd, and this is Jairus. He is the ruler of a synagogue. This is a powerful, respected man in the community. And what do you see? You see this man step forward, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus because he has a daughter who is dying. She doesn't have a cold. She's not feeling a little ill. She is on death's doorstep dying. Now picture that. You know, raise your hand, your parents. Any, I mean, I, I know ton of you got to be parents. Imagine this moment. I mean, even to leave your only daughter while she's dying in hopes that Jesus may be able to do something. I even wondered, you know, man, are the husband and wife on the same page with this? Was he, I got to go. And she's like, please stay. Our daughter is dying. Were they in agreement that, no, I'll stay with her. You have to try, Jairus. Go and see if Jesus will come and heal. So that's kind of the scene, but this is a very unique passage where there are two stories kind of intertangled. And as we carry on, as Jesus is going to follow Jairus, assuming that he's going to heal his daughter, the story takes a detour. Let's look at that together. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So as Jesus is walking with Jairus, he just stops. Again, try to as best you can. I want you to picture this scene. Picture this father wondering, wait, let's... Let, we need to hurry, that we shouldn't stop right now. And Jesus asked this odd question of who touched me. And Peter, you know it's coming. It's like, don't do it, Peter, don't do it, Peter. But he sticks his foot in his mouth again. 
Because, I mean, try to picture like an A-list celebrity just rolling through a town. You, remember, you ever see those pictures of just paparazzi just surrounding them? That's kind of what's going on here. Jesus is trying to make his way through the streets, and everybody's pressing in on him. Maybe like somebody like crowd surfing at a concert, like, somebody touched me. Like, yeah, a bunch of people did. It was inappropriate. So, you know, but that's what's happening here. I mean, people are constantly pressing in on him. But he says no, and he draws a distinction. No, somebody touched me. I didn't say somebody bumped into me. Touched me in such a way that power has gone from me. And I want to draw this point because I think this point is huge. Because there are tons of people in that crowd that didn't experience God's love and healing come into their life, but this woman did. There's a difference than just kind of being in the crowd, hearing about Jesus, hearing from Jesus, and experiencing him in your life. How many people have you heard tell that story? That's probably many of your story as well. Well, I was going to church all the time. I was always around Jesus. But then at some point, you experienced his love, his healing power and compassion flood into your life. There's a difference from being in the crowd and experience Jesus come into your life. And I love this story. I mean, it is just fascinating. This sweet girl comes up because she's bleeding. It says she's been bleeding for 12 years. I don't want to get all technical, but it was bleeding probably from her lady parts. To not get, I don't want to be scientific now, but you get the point. Is, that's kind of the issue she was dealing with for 12 years. And then she just touches the fringe of his garment. And is healed. And I love Jesus in this moment. Even the way he addresses her. This is the only time, I thought it was interesting, this is the only time Jesus addresses someone with this title of daughter. This poor, hurting woman, she comes before trembling. Is she going to get yelled at? Was she in the wrong? Should she not have done that? The first thing she hears from Jesus is daughter. In this beautiful picture of one, God's power to heal her, but just this compassion of Jesus on this sweet daughter of his. It said she spent everything she had and got nothing. She goes and expresses one ounce of faith in Jesus, and she receives everything she's always been waiting for. Now, I love that picture. She gave all of her resources to this world to heal her and got nothing. She gave an ounce of faith to Jesus and got everything. Everything that you're looking for, that you're searching for in this world, the peace that Jesus offers that you're going to the world to get will come back empty every time. This is how the world works. You give the world everything and you get nothing. You give Jesus your faith and you get everything that you've always been longing for. All of us are on that journey. Now, maybe yours isn't a medical issue, but all of us are spending our resources to find peace, to find healing. Here's a broken girl trying to find hope and healing. Where are you looking? What do you, I mean, and it said her resources. That's probably the biggest giveaway. What do you spend all your resources on trying to make you happy? How many people is this their story? You spend all your resources on entertainment trying to make you happy, but in the end, tomorrow comes, you're not fulfilled. You spend all your resources on going to the gym, on plastic surgery, on doctors. You give all these resources, 
But then in the end, it doesn't give you the peace that you need. You can give everything to the world and get nothing in return, or you can give your faith to Jesus and get everything you always were longing for. And that's what this woman experienced as he calls her daughter and instantly, after a life of hurting and bleeding, is healed when she touches Jesus. I love that picture, but remember this picture. Again, they're walking to Jairus' house, and Jesus stops, who touched me? Now, again, we talked about the woman. Picture now the father. How many dads in the room? Your daughter's dying. The guy that can help is stopping as she is on death's doorstep. How are you feeling in that moment? Like, I get it, girl. You have issues, but we need to go. My daughter's dying. Imagine, imagine him in that moment. So let's kind of return back to the scene as this, she kind of interrupted the story in one way, and not interrupted in a bad way, but the story takes a detour. But let's return back to the other perspective of the father. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And this is this wild story. As much as you can, try to picture being there. One, I got to point out something interesting culturally that is just kind of funny to me. So he got back to the house. And there's kind of this scene in commotion. It says they're mourning and wailing. So have you ever heard this before? That was actually a profession back then. They had like professional mourners and wailers. You know, like when someone in my family dies, we hire bagpipers. They just hired criers to like show up to the house and would cry, which is just weird and funny to me. Like, how do you get that job? Like, let me see your resume. Oh, I see you got voted, you know, biggest drama queen in high school. That'll play here, you know. <laughs> I see your hobbies causing a ruckus. That's going to work, you know. Like, how does that work? <laughs> like, let me see what you got. <laughs> you know, like, how, does that, how do you get this job? And I told Molly already, like, straight up, I want to bring this back. Like, when I die, people say, you know, I want my funeral to be a celebration of life. No, I want this. I got a frail ego. I want people bawling at my wedding, at my funeral, I mean. I want people just rolling in the aisles at my funeral. I told her whatever they hired, I want double. Double the amount of mourners, because I got a frail ego. But... And I got, I got to say this. I'll return to the sermon in a second. But I don't say this pridefully. I would kill at this job. I would be awesome as a crier. I feel like I have a future in this if I get fired. Just, Lord, why? It's not too soon, Lord. Like, I just feel like I could do this. <laughs> like, I just feel like I got that in me. But that has nothing to do with the sermon. At some point, we need to. But that's just a weird thing. So they go back. Like professionals, criers, crying, causing a scene. I would have been in the midst of it. But remember what's happening here. 
I mean this. As he's going to hear, is there anything worse as a parent? Like, I just can't fathom any worse sentence to hear in my life than your child is dead. I mean, what in that moment is he thinking? And then they go back and then has enough faith in Jesus, okay, to allow him to come to the home. And I love just this picture of Jesus again. People laughing at him, laughing at the idea that Jesus, now they had enough faith to think maybe he could heal the sick, but didn't believe that he could raise somebody from the dead. That's the, hey, don't trouble him anymore. She's dead. But Jesus, in overcoming death, but picture how he does this. Can you imagine just being in that room? These parents doing all that they can to hold it together. Jesus sits down next to this child. Says he grabs her by the hand just says, sweetie, get up. And this dead child sits up. Can you imagine as a parent seeing your child sit up like that? And I love the way that Jesus just does it in this tender way, even says, give her something to eat. She's hungry. She's been sick. You see Jesus and his power just overcoming death with a whisper. And I love that picture of his compassion, who he is. You guys are lucky I'm not the Savior. I would not do it that way. I'd be causing a scene in front of everybody. I'd be doing that like LeBron powder thing, like, get up! You know what I'm saying? Y'all saw that! Like he, the beauty and picture of Christ. (laughs) Sorry, I can't keep doing that in the middle of a sermon. It's distracting. (laughs) But I just love that. And I'm going to unpack that later, but just the way he talks about her just sleeping. As easy as it is for us to wake up our kids from a nap is Jesus overcoming death and everything that she is wrestling with. So here's the deal. I hope as you look at this picture of Jesus, you long for that. His healing compassion that you feel, not just being in church, that you understand that difference of experiencing God come into your life. It says instantly she was healed. Like what did that even feel like? To know immediately that you're okay, that you have peace. I want that for you. And everybody, I mean, who doesn't want healing and peace? But what I need to talk about is what keeps us from that. Now, the mechanism, biblically speaking, and what is upheld in this story, if you want that in your life, what is required? What do these two people give? They give their faith. It says, your faith has made you well. Your faith in him. What does he tell the father? Do not fear, believe. If you want that in your life, what is asked of us is to believe and trust in Jesus. And I want to talk about that a little bit more. But there's a reason so many people don't experience that. So I want to talk about that. What that, and what this passage highlights, obviously, is Jesus and faith in him and calling us to that. But why doesn't everybody experience that? We all know we want that. What keeps us from that? And I want to look right now, as we look at this passage, all the different barriers to belief. There are so many things in your life that are tempting us to hold us back from trusting him and in the end, possibly experiencing a miraculous move in your life. So what is that? As we look at this passage, what are the barriers to belief that all of us can face? That's probably not a pastorly way of putting your first point up there. 
But first point is Jesus is confusing. Now you're all looking at me like, oh, what is that? You're never telling me you in your life never were confused by what Jesus was doing. Have you ever been in that place of, God, why would you do this? Why right now? Why would you allow this to happen and not this and do it then? And that's one of the biggest things that jumped off the page at me as I was reading and studying this text is Jesus does nothing I'd expect him to. Any nurses in here? Anybody nurse? I know we got a bunch. There's a couple nurses here. Now, put your kind of nursing cap hat. What do nurses wear caps? I don't know. Whatever nurses wear, but put on your nursing garb and think about this. Think of these two cases. One is dying immediately. One has been dealing with a chronic issue for 12 years. So if you're a nurse and the doctor comes and says, hey, which one did I go to? Who do you go to first? That's a no-brainer. In this situation, if anybody had to choose and tell Jesus where to go to first, Jesus, go heal the daughter and then come back to this girl. Why would you not? That's confusing. And I think there are reasons, but hey, in the end, let's admit, we don't always know God's reasons and it's confusing. You know what else I find funny? The girl who wants to be, you know, remain in private, that just tries to sneak up to Jesus, he has everybody stop and calls her out and makes her go public. The guy who's very much public with his faith, he tells them to be private about it. Like, as I look, it is just confusing to me. And there are reasons. Jesus has reasons for telling this guy to keep it a secret. As the people, it's called the messianic secret is one of the things people talk about. As people don't understand Jesus, he needs to allow, you know, time to help them understand who the true Messiah is. So there's reasons, but I'm sure at that time, they didn't know them. And think of, both in that case, the temptation to compare their stories and be held back from that. Well, wait a minute, why is when my daughter's dying right now, do you stop and help this other person? And even vice versa, the girl, why was she healed after who knows, you know, how, I don't know how long the girl was sick, but after maybe she was sick two weeks, why did I have to bleed for 12 years? Don't you do that in your life? Well, why, when they seem to have it all together, why did my kid get sick? Well, why did when I lost my job, I can't find work for the life of me, but my buddy who's praising Jesus because God provided a job the next day? You ever get caught in the comparison game? God wants you to trust him, but one of the barriers is in the confusion, we compare our stories to each other. We need to stop comparing because we get trapped in that and don't experience God's freedom in our life. Well, why me and why not them? Peter does this later on to Jesus as well. See, Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die. But then one of the things we know is John, one of the few that lived a long life. And Peter's tempted to play the comparison game. And even to the point where he asked Jesus that. And we see this scene, and I want you to notice, in the confusion, if you're tempted to compare your story to others, I want you to hear the words of Christ on this. When Peter saw him, and that's John, who was trailing him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. 
We can get so trapped in wondering why our life is hard, and I've heard so many people sit in my office and play this game. Why did I have to have an addiction? Why did my kid have to get sick? Why me and not them? And Jesus says, look, what is it to you if I want to heal that person instantly and why maybe you have to depend on me longer? Don't get trapped in the comparison game. You follow him. God has a beautiful story for all of us. Our job is to fulfill the story God has for us. So Jesus is confusing. And one thing that I think can hold us back from faith is following the crowd. Because I want you to remember back in the story, when Jesus came back, and this dad is trusting Jesus to heal his daughter, and now to bring his daughter back to life, do you remember what the crowd's response is? They laughed at him. When he was going to go put his faith in Christ in that moment, how do you think that felt? You think his, one of the guys in the crowd didn't say, what are you doing? He's dead. Don't be foolish. You ever been told that you're being foolish as you walk in faith and trusting Jesus? There's so many people, this is real. This isn't just a high school peer pressure thing. I think throughout all of life, we feel this burden of the fear of man. Now, I'm willing to get, I'm willing to bet if almost everybody, at least most of you, on some ways, if you were just out about your faith in Jesus, you would get laughed at. Now, the question you've got to ask yourself is, are you going to allow fear of man, fear of people's opinion of you, that, oh, you're a Jesus freak, or you're one of those Christians, and that you may actually be ostracized in work, are you willing to do that to experience God's healing in your life? Are you going to miss out on God's miraculous movement in your life because you're afraid of maybe being laughed at because the crowd is laughing at Jesus? Tell me that's not true in your workplace, that it's not popular to be a Christian and you may feel ostracized, but are you gonna allow that to keep you from experiencing God moving in your life? You ever feel like you're not clean and that keeps you back from experiencing a relationship with God? I think this is huge in this passage, particularly with this woman. I know this woman would have been tempted by this barrier to keep her from Jesus. Do you understand, with this discharge of blood, and you probably don't catch this, but listen up to this. In this time, she would have been ceremonially unclean. If you look at Leviticus 15, because of this bleeding issue, she would have been declared unclean. This, there's a reason when she went to Jesus, she was trembling. Because this was bold for someone declared unclean. So you know what that means? For 12 years, she couldn't go to synagogue. She couldn't go for us church. She couldn't worship for her life. She was an outcast. You're telling me she didn't have to deal with getting over that barrier. Can somebody unclean like me really be healed? I hear that all the time. Everybody in here has a past. So many people in here and sit here and think that Jesus, I could not be really one of those people. Jesus couldn't heal me because I'm too dirty because of what I've done. Listen to me. I don't care what you've done. 
You are not too dirty for Jesus to heal you. Because the fear that this woman could have had is that since I'm dirty and Jesus is clean, I will make Jesus dirty. You need to understand, you don't make Jesus dirty. Jesus makes you clean. Every time. So when you sit here and you look around this room and see, oh, all these nice Christians that have it all together, and you feel like you're the dirty one, that is a barrier that you need to get over. I don't care what your past is. You don't make this place dirty. You don't make Jesus dirty. He makes you clean. How about this one? You ever found yourself in this place that the world is too chaotic for God to care about you? And I've heard this all the time. You ever find yourself wrestling with that? Like, I mean, doesn't Jesus need to be putting out wildfires in California? Isn't he more worried about wars? Does he really care about my surgery? Does he really care about my kid? Does he really care about this next thing? You ever heard something like that? You ever said something like that? Man, and I hear people feel guilty all the time because their worst tragedies tragedies going on in life. Well, you know, in perspective, this is not a big deal. Do you know I think what's happening? I mean, think about it. Isn't that exactly what you kind of almost would read out of this text? That Jesus simply couldn't make it to the girl. There's too much going on and Jesus had to choose. Now in that moment, we know the end of the story, but they didn't. Isn't that exactly what the dad was thinking? What those people from the house said, don't trouble him anymore. Jesus has enough going on, don't bother him anymore because your issue is done and it doesn't matter. You know, I think that happens. All of us as people are limited. Our view of love and compassion from fallen beings, we feel like there's a finite amount of compassion and I can only get so much of it. And if you get it, maybe in your house with siblings, you know, there was only so much love to go around and if they got too much love, that means that's love that you didn't receive. You need to understand that Jesus' compassion and his love aren't like that. Whatever you're going through, it doesn't matter how chaotic the world is, God still has enough love and compassion for you. You don't have to think that God's too busy. It's not, oh, you're going into surgery. Jesus doesn't get caught in traffic. Jesus doesn't forget. Jesus isn't limited that way. So I want you to get rid of that lie and barrier to belief that God couldn't care about you. This wasn't an issue. This was a divine delay. He didn't run out of time. There was intention by Jesus waiting. And I want you to know that in your life. There aren't a hundred love chips that God has to pass out, and if somebody else gets one, you can't. All right? So no matter how chaotic the world is, but in the end, I think this is the big one. A barrier to belief, in the end, can I really trust in faith that God cares about me? And you think of these circumstances. I mean, most people that walk away from God, God doesn't care about me. Why? Because he wouldn't let this happen to me. It's probably the most common issue. If God really cared about me, then why would my circumstances be like this? People that walk away from God, you can argue about different philosophies. And I don't mind like, well, what about the dinosaurs? What about evolution? We can, we, we can debate those things. That's fine. And I actually enjoy talking about those things. But at the core of it, if somebody's dealing with that, most of the time I want to say, hey, can we actually talk about like your mom getting cancer? Because isn't that the real issue? That we think because God allowed this to happen to me, 
Remember, he doesn't know the end of the story. This is a father whose kid is dead. And Jesus says, I want you to trust me. I want you to believe in me. What a bold ask in that moment. It means a parent, like, what are you talking about trust you? If you cared about me, then you would have been at my house and my kid wouldn't be dead right now. And I think most of us, that's the biggest thing we wrestle with. Trust God. Then why would he allow this to happen to me? He must not care. And all these things, look, are very real. But these are not insurmountable barriers. No matter how much you've said this to yourself, both these examples, you see them, so desperate to experience Jesus and healing, overcome these obstacles, these barriers to experience Jesus. Because those same circumstances, what drives people away are what drive people to Jesus. That's what calls them to fall on their face before him. And the first thing you need to know is I'm calling you and asking you to have faith, believe in him that he is who he says he is, and that there is a plan to trust him. The first thing I want you to understand it is it is a choice. I think some people sit in there and think, well, I just don't have faith, or I don't have enough of it if it's like this magic sauce that some people get and others don't. He laid it down before this father as a choice. Everyone in this room, in the midst of those barriers, there's always gonna be enough evidence to doubt God and always be enough evidence to believe and put your faith in him. It's a choice. Will you choose, as he looked at that father and says, you know, I know you're hurting, I know this is crazy, but will you trust me? It's a choice that all of us have to make. If you want to experience God in your life, you need to have that faith and healing. So I want to spend the kind of last part of our time talking about faith. Faith is a lot simpler than we realize. I think so often people make it complex I want to trust. I want to believe. What does that look like? I don't know how to do that. What did it look like for both of these people? It was a posture of the heart that turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, I need you. Will you come into my life? If you're wondering, man, I want to do that, I don't know how. It doesn't have to happen right now in church. It can happen on a shoreline. It can happen in a house. It can happen at church. You simply, if you want that right now, or any time thereafter, just cry out to God and say, God, I need you. Will you help me? I can't do this. I've been disappointed by the world. Will you help me? That's one of my favorite things in ministry is hearing people pray that prayer for the first time. And I need to pray that prayer every single day thereafter. People say, I'm ready for that. And I don't know what to pray. And I say, pour your heart out to God. And then the prayer always goes something like this, God, I don't know what to do but I need you. Will you come into my life? It is that simple. It's not that easy. I've embraced that. It is simple, not easy. You need to cry out to him, but it is surrendering. What you don't get to do is still just try to live your life the, you know, however you want, and then ask Jesus to help you along the way. What did both of these people do? They fell on their face before Jesus. They threw themselves at his feet. That is a picture of surrender. If you want that, you can choose that today. And it's simple as telling him that. But what you're telling him 
says, all right, God, I surrender. You know, it's funny. I get that picture, and I would express, I would encourage you to express it in some way. You know, at first, like the worshiping and raising your hands thing, you know, I, I didn't like to do that at first because it made me uncomfortable and feel vulnerable. Do you know why I do that now? Because it makes me feel uncomfortable and vulnerable. Like, that's what keeps us from it. Do you think it was comfortable and vulnerable for them laying on the ground before Jesus? No. But that's a part of what it is. It's a picture of vulnerability. And maybe if you're ready to express your faith, that you even raise your hands for the first time. I'm not saying you have to do that, but it is a picture of surrender. And each time, there's still a sign that feels a little uncomfortable, but that is the point. Faith isn't meant to make you comfortable. It's meant to connect you to Jesus. And it is vulnerable. You're finally saying, okay, God, I'm done with the world. I've spent my whole life pursuing the world and came up empty. Will you come into my life? I surrender to you, and that is important. It needs to be faith that is in the Savior. When I'm talking about faith, biblical faith, and you've probably heard this. I've heard this a ton. It doesn't matter what your faith is in as long as you have faith. That is not true at all to this passage and to the Bible. It matters. Everybody has faith in something. You're turning to something to heal you, to give you peace. You had two broken, desperate people. They didn't experience peace until their faith turned to Jesus. And that's where, as we turn back, I want you to think about Jesus. And I love the way he talks about death. Because you need to understand this. Look, the opposite of faith is fear. To say, I can't trust him anymore, is to go into a life where death is final. There is no plan. You're on your own. That's why Jesus said, look, do not fear, but have faith. If you can't get over your barriers, understand you're choosing a life of fear. But if you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus, the one who overcame the grave, where death is but a nap, what fear do we have when we turn to Jesus who has overcome the grave and our worst fear always is what if they die? Will we turn and have faith to one who in the eyes of Jesus, death is but a nap. That they can overcome death. At the very least, that nap lasts till heaven and I get to see you in heaven. I love Jesus. I love the one who has overcome the grave. I don't know what you're in in your life right now, but will you trust him? Will you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge the barriers in our life are real. I couldn't dare to think what everybody is going through right now, but I know even looking at Jairus, a dad who has lost a child, God, these are difficult things. We're going through difficult things as a church in our life. But God, my hope is in the midst of all those doubt struggles that we would have the courage to still say in the midst of that, in the midst of death and disease, that I have faith in one who has overcome the grave, that has overcome death and disease, in which death is just a nap. 
Would we put our faith in him and trust him this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.